Mark 11:12 through 25. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you. And I, I love that video because it's a testimony that God is still on the move. Uh, God is still at work in our city and in our church and in our lives. Uh, and I, I praise God uh, for what he's doing. You know, I was, I was thinking about, you know, the, the shortages. I talked about a couple earlier uh, in the service. Uh, you know, the thing I'm most surprised about is sweatpants. Like, why hasn't there been a run on sweatpants? Because nobody's working right now and everybody is just sitting on their couch. There shouldn't be a sweatpant in Target. But I went the other day and I found a bunch of sweatpants. And I've decided I'm going to go loungewear next Sunday. Uh, I've made a deal with all of our camera folk. They're only going to show me from the waist up. I'm wearing sweatpants until we're back together Actually, Zane is preaching next Sunday. I am thrilled that he's going to be here. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and that's a special time. I want you to join us online. But, you know, sweatpants, I'm grateful for sweatpants. I'm grateful for uh, being comfortable in my house, uh, even though some things are making me a little stir-crazy. And it's important in this time for us to think about the things that we're grateful for. And so I want you to ask a question and answer it in your living room or wherever you're at right now. And if, if you're by yourself, uh, whip out that journal and just kind of journal a quick answer. I wonder what has made you feel grateful this week? What's the thing that you've noticed that has been a blessing and it's, maybe it's from somebody else or it's from God or it's just kind of one of those great things that happened? What has made you feel grateful? Take um, 30 seconds wherever you're at and, and answer that with, uh, to each other. And then we're going to jump back into this sermon. If you don't have your Bible, go ahead and grab that too. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11. You're going to want to look at that for just a minute. Answer this question. I wonder what made you feel grateful this week.
I hope you had a chance to share. Um, you got like 15 more seconds. If somebody hasn't talked yet in your living room, it's, it's their chance to answer what makes you feel grateful. You know, it's important for us to, to keep our minds focused on positive things. Um, there's a lot of things in the news and online, and it seems like one more article is just going to give you more reason to feel worried and afraid. And so I want to encourage you this week, as you go about whatever it is that you're going to do, that you try to find ways and reasons to notice what God is doing in your world, all of the small gifts that God gives us. Last week was an excellent gift. Randy uh, gave an excellent message from Mark chapter 10, and it was the story of James and John asking to be at Jesus's right and left. And, and they, they begin the conversation by saying, you know, teacher, give us what we ask you. And Jesus says, answers that with a question, what do you want? And they say, we want to be important. We want to be powerful. We want to have authority. And Jesus asked them another question, can you drink the cup? that I'm about to drink. And as Randy said it so well, that James and John are looking for authority, but, but Jesus and the life and the kingdom is about service. Whoever wants to be great in the kingdom must learn to serve. Authority in the kingdom isn't measured how close you are to the person that's on the top of the mountain, but how quickly you love and care for those who found themselves in the valley. And after that conversation, Jesus does a curious thing. It's after the, the triumphant procession, and Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and that's significant because kings ride into town on donkeys. And so he gets a little hungry afterwards, and he, and he sees this fig tree, and he takes time to walk over there and, and get something to eat. But when he gets close enough, he realizes there aren't any figs, which really shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone because it's the wrong season for figs. <coughs> Excuse me. And he curses the tree, which is an odd thing to do. It would be like me walking up to some Girl Scout in the middle of May and asking for a box of Thin Mints and then getting annoyed because that's the wrong season for Thin Mints. It'd be like me going to McDonald's and trying to get a shamrock shake in the summer or me walking up to Mile High Stadium and asking the Broncos to win on a Sunday in the fall because that's the wrong season for the Broncos to win. But then he does what we all do when we go to the supermarket and we're annoyed because they're out of mangoes or toilet paper. We curse the place and we leave. But the question, one of the questions I want us to consider today is, why didn't Jesus bless the tree? Why didn't he bless the tree? Make it supernaturally grow a harvest of delicious figs so that he and his disciples could eat and have their fill and be satisfied. One of the things we're going to no notice as Jesus walks closer and closer toward the cross is how unsettling some of the things he says and some of the things he does really are. This is the only miracle in Mark on the road to the cross. And it's striking because it's a curse. This isn't putting the guy's ear back on. It's, it's negative. But here's the thing. When Jesus curses something, it does, it works. 
Jesus has power. Jesus wants to calm a storm, he says the word. When Jesus wants to heal a person, he does it. And curses have tremendous power in the first century. And we live in a place and a time where the sense of distance between the spirit world and, and our world seem pretty far. Someone might curse me, and I'm, I'm just not going to pay much attention to it. But I have heard fascinating stories of the power of curses in cultures that have animistic and ancestral worldviews. In those kind of places, a curse can ruin your life. And this is much more than just the, the psych out of somebody yelling, hey, bad about it, to get into their head. In those places, curses have power. But then again, maybe curses have power here too. Sometimes it's the things that we say that cause wounds that make others walk with a limp for the rest of their lives. Uh, Terry and Sharon Hager, uh, Hargrave uh, run an institute at, at Pepperdine University, and, and they talk about the wounds that we carry. There's a story that, that Terry tells, and he, he, was, he was painting one day. He was trying to do the eaves of his, of his garage, and his, his, his seven-year-old son came up to him, and he just kind of wanted to see what dad was doing, and he saw that dad was doing something kind of interesting, painting, and, and Terry just kind of wanted to get it over with. It was hot, it was sunny, he was doing ladder work, but his son wanted to help, and so he said, hey, dad, can I paint? And, and, and Terry really wasn't in the mood for this. He wasn't interested in that, uh, but he tried to let his son help, and so he had his son climb up on the ladder, and, and his son is trying to paint the eaves, but he's getting paint everywhere. It's getting on the side of the garage, it's getting on the, on the ground. He's making a mess, but he's, he's trying to hang with it. And then ultimately his son attempts to move the ladder while the paint bucket is still on it, tips it over, it splays paint everywhere. And Terry in his frustration just kind of yelled at his son. And it was just a moment. It was like 20 years later when Terry's son came to him and said, Dad, I need to tell you about something that, that really affected me when I was growing up. And Terry knew immediately what it was. He knew that moment when a word said an anger wounded his boy. Maybe it was someone that told you you were, you were dumb or that you weren't good at math or that you were fat or just not pretty enough or, or that you weren't worthy of love or dignity or respect. Those things can stay with us the rest of our lives. And sometimes it's not the active action of just of creating wounds. Sometimes it's just the absence of love. This story ends with Jesus and the disciples going about the work the next day. And then Peter sees the fig tree and it had withered to the roots. But in the middle of that story is this other story about the temple. And this is the beauty of Mark, the way he tells the story. Each narrative interprets the other. It's like that M.C. Escher sketch of one hand, two hands drawing themselves. And this is a story told in a different way, this cleansing of the temple. In John, Jesus takes the time to braid the whip. But in Mark, he just charges in. He just barrels in. Here's the situation. The, the temple didn't want to have Roman coins coming in and out of it because those coins had graven images. And it was a sin in Jewish culture to, to have anything bear a graven image. And so rather than bringing Roman coins in, they had this booth area 
where you could change that money for temple money, and then you could use the temple money to buy sacrifices to offer to God. But the money changers, they had bad exchange rates. And the people that were selling the goods, they sold them for too much money. And Jesus comes in and sees what is happening in his father's house, and he flips tables, and he won't let people bring merchandise into the courts. And maybe that's because Jesus remembers the story of his parents taking him to the temple when he was dedicated. And they had to buy two pigeons instead of the lamb because they couldn't afford the lamb. That was too much money for them. Jesus grew up poor. Or or maybe it's because Jesus remembers sitting with the teachers of the law when he was a boy and how much he loved talking to them. And And he knew what the temple was meant to do. And he knew what the temple was meant to be. Maybe it's because Jesus understood that everyone, no matter how rich or poor or where they came from or what situation they were born into, bears the image of God. They were created to look like God. And that gives them innate dignity and value. Maybe he was just offended at the corruption that he saw. Like a poor family saving for years to go to Disney and then being shamed by a $10 churro and a $150 plastic lightsaber so that their kids can have one like every other kid in the park. And so he quotes two texts. The first is Isaiah 56, and in that Isaiah is talking about how God's love and grace is for everyone. If the foreigner binds themselves to be a servant of God, if the eunuch follows God with their whole hearts, then they will be included, and God's house will be a place for the nations. Everyone will be involved there if they draw near to God. And Jeremiah chapter 7 is a, is a different sort of story about the temple. God sends Jeremiah the prophet to stand at the gate of the temple and proclaim a message. Don't trust in the temple to save you. You can't simultaneously oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, fatherless or the widow. You can't shed innocent blood and worship other gods and then come to the temple and say, we are safe. Jeremiah says, safe to do those detestable things? Corrupt temples cannot provide the promises that they seem to deliver. Corrupt temples will demand payment in blood or treasure or both. False temples will demand we sacrifice our elderly or physically at risk on the altar of the economy, the economy with insatiable hunger, speaking soft lies of protection and comfort. False temples will subtly insist that the privilege of approaching a sacred God requires you to change who you are to become worthy. And we sell our birthright as the children of God for knockoff joy and pretend peace. Corrupt temples cannot provide the promises they claim to deliver, but Jesus can. Jesus who keeps his promises, Jesus who heals the sick, Jesus who raises the dead. And then this story takes a fascinating turn. Jesus begins talking about mountains and forgiveness. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go and throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes in what they say will happen. It will be done for them. 
Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you are stand praying, if you hold something against anyone, forgive them so that Father in heaven may forgive your sins. First of all, I want us to think about what is the mountain that Jesus is talking about? And I think there's a lot of different ways that we can try to interpret this text. And some of them may make you feel good, but I don't think they're right. I, I think I want to resist the impulse to make this about your own personal mountain or struggle. You have, may have a mountain that's in your way, like a mountain of debt or a mountain of guilt or a mountain of worry or a problem that you don't think you can handle. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about in this case. The mountain that Jesus is talking about is the mountain that the temple was built on. The temple was the most uh, secure and firm thing in the minds of every Jew that climbed that hill. And Jesus says, if you believe and if you ask, even the most solid thing that is in your world, the center of your universe, will be thrown into the sea. That is the power of Jesus. The fig tree reminds us of his power. At any point in this story, he could have cursed the money changers. He could have cursed the crowd that arrests him. He could have cursed Pilate who condemns him or the Roman soldiers who crucify him. Maybe the miracle in this story is not that the tree dies, but that Jesus, in his mercy, chooses to let us live. The story doesn't end in power. The story ends in forgiveness. Jesus is a good Jew. He knows the Torah. He loves the temple. But where the temple will fall short, he himself will step in. He will lay his life down for all of us. And I wonder if we have the courage to do the same. I think we found ourselves in a season where the best thing for us to do may not be to act, but just to choose not to act. I get it. You're stuck with your family and you're feeling a little stir crazy and you're getting annoyed at some of the little ticks that you didn't know your spouse even had because they only did them at work and you're going to choose to say something. You can curse or you can bless. And this week, choose to bless. And this week, some of you have become teachers for the first time in your lives, and you're doing homeschool, and you never thought you'd have to be in that situation. And, and you're living through all of the frustrations and the, 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 the issues that all of the teachers, they face all the time. And you're going to choose to curse or to bless. How are you going to use your power? In this season, we're going to find ourselves being forced to ask questions of whether we should act or we should resist. And as this text means anything for us, what it says is that sometimes Jesus just chose not to act, to forgive. And in that moment, he changed the world. And so we join Jesus in this little miracle, this little act of joining God in the restoration of the world and all things. This week, we're going to choose to have mercy. We're going to choose to love.
we're going to choose to forgive. Pray with me, please. Father God, Lord of heaven and earth, we are delighted to be in your presence. And this week, as we follow your son, as he steps even closer to the cross, we pray for the wisdom and the courage not to act, to wait, to see where you are working and to see where the opportunity is in this world and then for you to to join you there. Father, forgive our wandering hearts. Draw us ever closer to you. It is through Christ who showed us the way, who leads us evermore towards you that we pray. And the church says, amen.